This morning we're going to consider 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 6 through to 8. Just three verses from 1 Peter chapter 1. And the title of my sermon is Rejoicing with Heaviness of Heart. We're going to consider exceeding joy and also we shall consider sorrow as they apply to the people whom the Apostle Peter addressed in his epistle. I'm going to read verse 6 in 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter said, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Where we read greatly rejoice, those two English words are the translation of just one Greek word, agaliao, which means to rejoice exceedingly. Verse 6 starts with the words, wherein ye greatly rejoice. In other Bible versions, wherein is translated in this. The question is, in what do Christians greatly rejoice or rejoice exceedingly? Well, looking up to what has already been considered in previous verses, you, dear Christian, ought to greatly rejoice because you are elect of God. We see that in verse 2. You were chosen for salvation before the foundation of the world, despite you being no better and no less hell-deserving than anyone else. Verse 2 also speaks of sprinkling in the blood of Jesus Christ. That refers to you being cleansed from all your sins in his precious blood. And then there is verse 3, which speaks of being begotten again unto a lively hope. You who were once spiritually dead have been born again. God, the Holy Spirit, has raised you up to everlasting life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4 speaks of your everlasting heavenly inheritance as an heir of God and joint heir with Christ. And then there is verse 5, which speaks of you being kept and preserved by God through your God-given faith. That's in line with John chapter 17 and verse 14, where the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to his Father, saying to him, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Since all born-again Christians have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, it's perfectly reasonable for the Apostle Peter to talk about greatly rejoicing here in verse 6, and likewise for the Apostle Paul to say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, as he did in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Being born again and becoming a Christian 
are described in suitably spectacular words by the hymn writer who said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. When you begin to consider just how great it is to be a born-again follower of Jesus, there is something seriously amiss if you are not greatly rejoicing in him. If you are not greatly rejoicing, could it be because you have become ensnared by sin? When King David sinned against God, he most certainly was not rejoicing. In fact, in Psalm 32, verse 3, he said, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. That sounds awful, doesn't it? And if you are a born-again Christian, you'll know from your own bitter experiences just how awful it is to sin against the God of your salvation. If that is the case with you, then like David, you need to confess your sin, and God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Also, if you are not greatly rejoicing, then maybe you are not truly saved in the first place. I say that because the joy that is spoken of in verse 6 is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that he gives to all he's redeemed right from the time of their conversion. For example, in Acts chapter 9, when an Ethiopian eunuch believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was baptised, we are told in verse 39 that he went on his way rejoicing. I can remember when I first received assurance of forgiveness for my sins, I too rejoiced. In fact, I rejoiced exceedingly with a God-given joy. Also, in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 16, there is the record of the Apostle Paul and Silas who were placed in the stocks of a prison in Philippi. There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. The jailer was about to kill himself, thinking that all the prisoners had escaped. However, Paul said to him, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. The jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptised, he and all his, straightway.
And when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. I hope you got that last bit about the jailer rejoicing, believing in God with all his house. Greatly rejoicing with a God-given joy does not mean that you have to be continually leaping up in the air, full of the joys of spring. After all, we do live in a very sinful world, a fallen world that is filled with pain and misery. Consequently, everyone has times of sorrow and Christians are no exception. As such, we can see in verse 6 that the great rejoicing is accompanied by heaviness through manifold temptations. In other words, grief and sorrow through many and various trials. As for the word heaviness in verse 6, it means being affected with sadness and sorrow. Looking at verse 6, one might well ask, how on earth is it possible to not only rejoice exceedingly, but to be affected with sadness and sorrow at the same time. In answer to that, Spurgeon said, Mariners tell us that there are some parts of the sea where there is a strong current upon the surface going one way, but that down in the depths there is a strong current running the other way. Two seas do not meet and interfere with one another. But one stream of water on the surface is running in one direction and another below in an opposite direction. Now, the Christian is like that. On the surface, there is a stream of heaviness rolling with dark waves. But down in the depths, there is a strong undercurrent of great rejoicing that is always flowing there. Also, the Apostle Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10 about being sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul would have been something of an anomaly in the eyes of believe unbelievers. For example, he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And he really did practice what he preached. Even when he was in chains in Rome, he rejoiced. And he did so because the gospel of Christ was being proclaimed and furthered. Also, he sang praises unto God when he was in the stocks in a Philippian jail. If you are not hiding your lamp under a bushel, and you are a visible and vocal witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, you are likely to receive insults or even to be physically attacked, and that can cause heaviness. But at the same time, persecution for Christ's sake is a tremendous privilege, and it is something to greatly rejoice about. After all, Jesus did say to his disciples, Blessed are ye! When men shall revile you 
and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake? Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Think about it. For Jesus to say, rejoice and be exceeding glad, when you experience persecution, that must mean that it is possible to do precisely that. I can honestly say that when I've been on the receiving end of verbal abuse and threats of violence over the past 26 years, as I have proclaimed the gospel of Christ in the open air, and more recently, as I have called on pro-abortionists to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I have at times experienced great heaviness, but at the same time, I have experienced a deep inner joy because of the lively hope that is within me and the honour of being a spokesperson for Jehovah Nissi, God my righteousness. Also, the heaviness through manifold temptations in verse 6 can be the result of the everyday trials of life that are common to everyone and not just Christians. Trials such as bereavement, poor health, poverty and so on. Those things most certainly do cause sadness and sorrow and they really can be a test of faith for professing Christians. I don't know how many professing Christians I've seen disappearing off the church radar as soon as something awful happens in their lives, with some of them even getting angry with God. Surely, no matter how painful the trials are that befall us, we have no business getting angry with God. That is something that atheists do, but not born-again Christians. The bottom line is that when we experience various trials, even though the ensuing heartaches are often extremely painful, they do not nullify the born-again Christian's great rejoicing or joy unspeakable, as it is described in verse 8. In his great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, or at least they shouldn't do. Still, Looking at verse 6, you'll see that the heaviness through manifold temptations or trials is now, and it's for a season. In other words, when you have trials every now and then, or else it seems to you that your life is one big trial, those trials are nevertheless momentary compared with an eternity of good things that God has promised his elect, things such as an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, and most of all, the promise of being with Jesus and beholding his glory. Note also in verse 6, that all of those trials are, if need be. In other words, the trials that come your way are from God. 
and he gives you whatever trials he deems to be necessary for your good. For example, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul said, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Note that the Apostle did not say all things are good. He said all things work together for good. And that includes the many and various trials that cause heaviness. It's impossible to appreciate that those, sorry, it's important to appreciate that those God-given trials work for your good. I suppose you can think of them much like the raw ingredients of a cake, which are often bitter and unpalatable, but the end result is delicious. Or you can think of all those painful trials as the loose threads on the back of a tapestry. They are unsightly, but the tapestry itself, when it is finished, is beautiful. How can the trials, which for a season cause heaviness and heartache, result in beauty? They can, and they do, when they proceed from a loving Heavenly Father who works all things out for his glory and for the good of his children. And verse 7 explains how. Let's now look at verse 7, where Peter said that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. For one thing, the refiner's fire tests whether the metal really is gold and not something inferior. Not only does the fiery furnace test the genuineness of what appears to be gold, but also, if it is gold, the extreme heat improves it because it removes the dross and it purifies it. When it comes to us, God knows who are genuine Christians. He chose us after all. Nevertheless, the trials that God gives to his elect prove and improve their faith. And that has to be a good thing, even if it means putting them through the fire. That was something that literally happened to three men in the Bible whose names were Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. At a time when Judah was ruled by the Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar made a 90 foot high image of gold. A decree was made that at certain times every man was required to fall down and worship the image. However, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to do so and they were spoken to by the king. Reading from Daniel chapter 3 and verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, 
and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake, and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonied, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counsellors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Therefore, not only did the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prove to be genuine, God was right there with them in that fiery furnace. Every trial of your faith is an occasion for you to rejoice, because God is with you in those trials, and they serve to build you up in your holy Christian faith, as you cast yourself upon God, drawing on his sustaining grace, and greatly rejoicing in all that you have as a Christian. Moving on to our last verse for today, it is written in verse 8, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye, uh, ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That is an amazing testimony of Peter concerning the grace of God towards his elect, when you consider that the natural fallen condition of sinful man is not to love Jesus but to hate him although it is far from obvious for example most people don't go around saying that they hate Jesus you have to appreciate nevertheless that the heart is deceitful above all things and it is desperately wicked as such an unregenerate person is enmity against God he is in a state of active opposition and rebellion against God. 
That includes all of you who have not trusted in Jesus as your saviour from sin and your Lord. Even the sweetest old lady who is not born again has a heart that is opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 8, Peter, the great apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, was putting himself below his readers. When you understand that about 30 years earlier, the risen Saviour spoke to him face to face and said to him, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter replied, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. The Greek word that has been translated love in Peter's answer is not the same as in the question put by Jesus. Peter claimed only to have an affection for Jesus, at least back then anyway. Whereas the scattered Christians whom Peter spoke to 30 years later didn't just have an affection for Jesus, they loved him and their hearts were filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory, even though they had never seen him. That is a testimony of the genuineness of a God-given faith. I can remember when I became a Christian, as I've already mentioned, the Lord filled me with his joy. But also, Jesus had become the most important person to me, taking the highest affection and love in my heart. Mind you, you have to be a bit careful. After all, it could just be a phase that you're going through. That's what family and friends said was happening to me. The acid test is what about now? And so I'll leave you a couple of questions to answer. Dear Christian, do you still love Jesus, whom you have never seen? And I'm talking about a love that is seen in a love for the brethren and a born-again life drawing on God's enabling grace to do his will. Do you still rejoice with unspeakable, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, not just in the good times, but also in the fiery furnace? If you love Jesus, then praise God for loving you first and for sending his beloved son to be the propitiation for your sins. Amen.